This is Rabbi Jeff Sachs of Atzid in the Web Yeshiva with another installment in our Jewish Educators podcast. Sometimes a person sits to review a book and, the truth be told, they haven't read the whole thing cover to cover. Uh, I have to confess, I'm sitting here with the author of a book and I'm holding the book in my hands and it's 1,250 pages long and I haven't read a word of it. But listeners, just hold on a second. Okay, there. I'm done, at least the speed-reading version. The book by Phil Chernofsky is entitled And Every Single One Was Someone. Perhaps you read about it recently in the New York Times. It's 1,250 pages. On each page, the word Jew appears 4,800 times. Do the math, folks. That's six million Jews between two covers of a, what is this, Phil, a seven, eight-pound book? 7.3 pounds. 7.3 pounds, always exact with the numbers. Tell us how you came to write this book. It's almost funny to call it write the book. It's almost even funny to refer to you as the, as the author. I think in the Times' very, very praiseworthy review, they said tongue-in-cheek, it doesn't have much of a plot. Mm-hmm. But tell us the backstory. Okay, the backstory fits in very well with uh, your show, more so than the Times interview and uh, Ynet and everything else, because you call this the Educator Hour, and that's where it started. Uh, I'm here on Aliyah 32 years. Before that, I taught at the Yeshiva of Central Queens in Kew Gardens Hills for nine years, <coughs> and... Um, I taught Limude Kodesh, math and science. I also introduced computers in the late 70s, so it was a Mm -hmm. cutting-edge thing at the time, the TRS-80. In any event, each teacher and his class, her or her class, was in charge of the bulletin board in the hall at the different uh, periods of the year. And one year, I got Yom HaShoah, and I was thinking what I could do on the bulletin board. Because I'm a math person and a number person, I decided to focus on the concept of six million. Six million is a number which the human mind cannot wrap itself around, and I wanted to do something in that direction. So I sat down my class, gave them blank sheets of paper and pencils, and I said for the next 30 minutes, there's to be no talking, which was a side benefit (laughs) of the exercise, and you're to write the word Jew as many times as you can on each sheet of paper. When you finish a paper, don't leave any margins, just finish the paper, take another one, continue until I say stop. After a half an hour, I stopped, and I had each student count the number of Jews that they had on their pages, and then we made a total. And after working for 30 minutes with a whole classroom of students, we had about 45,000 names. Divided that into 6 million, just to give an idea as to how many of these would go. The book was not yet in the picture. What we did was scotch tape the pages together, mounted them on the bulletin board. They flowed over on up and down, right and left uh, in the hall, which was good also. And we wrote a legend. 
to it, instructing people the best way to, to approach it. I ask them to first stand back a little, and notice that you can't even tell what the words are, let alone that there are even words there. And should have said that the opposite, but you know what I mean. Um, now walk a little closer until you notice that the word Jew is repeated over and over and over again. Now pick one Jew. It could be your grandmother's brother who you were told about had died in the Holocaust. It could be, if you want to personalize it even more, yourself. Because there, but for the grace of God, go I as the expression goes. That Jew you're looking at, and for a moment you're focusing only on it, him or her. Now notice that right next to that Jew is another Jew. That could be your brother. And there's your little sister. There are your parents. There are your cousins, aunts, and uncles. And over there, a little further away, are some of your neighbors and your classmates. And look, this whole section could be your whole school and your whole village or town. And I wanted the word to be personalized. I wanted people both to be overwhelmed by the mass of these words with only 45,000. Allah kama vakama, six million. And then I wanted to be able to distinguish a single name, a single person, within the mass. Because the Nazis, Yemach Shemam, tried to dehumanize their victims and did not want anyone to see the Jewish people as a people, as a nation, as even individual human beings, but just a swarm of insects to be stepped on and exterminated. And we have to stand for the other. This is not by any means the the only way to do it. There are museums and there are books and there are movies and there are activities. But I wanted to add this dimension to it. Years later, when I came to Israel... I wanted to take that idea, but this time I did it printing out uh, the word Jew in very small typeface and papering a huge wall that we had at the Israel Center at the time um, with the word Jew, similar legend. That led to actually calculating how many pages I would need, two sides, to do the six million, and I put it into a loose leaf with a legend as to sort of how you could uh, look at it. And I used to pull it out on Yom HaShoah and show it to people. And then uh, I brought it to an uncle of mine who had a stall at the International Book Fair in Binyanei Uma, And he said, leave it here with me. We'll see what interest it attracts. And uh, people came by. Everybody looked at it. Everybody wowed. And then they moved on. One person was a bookbinder, and he got very excited about the idea and asked permission to do something more with it. This is before Geffen got involved. And he printed a, a small number of, of copies, one of which I have someplace around. And um, I think he might have sold it and given it. There's one in the museum of the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. And that's where it stood. So 
Elon Greenfield from Geffen Publishing saw it someplace and came to me and said, I have to publish it. I don't know what we're going to do with it. I don't know if it's going to make money. I don't know if it, where it's going to be sold, but we have to publish it. And we spoke a little. I'm very easygoing. He's very um, tough. And we came to an agreement and signed a contract. And the next thing I know, it's an actual book. A couple of dis- he, the publisher has this aspiration to sell six million copies. That's his which dream. Which would, be a, would yeah. be a wonderful. Uh, That's a his wonderful dream. Thing In fact, the uh, New York Times um, bureau chief from Jerusalem, who interviewed me, uh, did a calculation with your royalties, me. Royalties, yeah. <laughs> no, besides that, did a calculation that uh, six million copies of this book, uh, standing next to each other, would span from a lot to to the north, all the way to the boundary, just about. And uh, for the New York uh, crowd or the crowd in the States, I calculated from New York City way past Washington, D.C. So uh, in any event, I don't know if we're going to get into to 6 million. The point is that it is not really um, a book that individuals will necessarily buy. It's a book that schools should buy and schools for their library and teachers and um, who knows where well, else it will it's go. It's certainly more of a, uh, I think you described it as a conversation piece. For sure. It's almost a, a, piece, of, a piece of art in the sense right. that... Right, that's, that's the way the Times put it. Well, there's something meditative about it. Right. That, in other words, you figure, well, it's, it's a kitsch, it's a, it's, a, it's a shtick, you open the book, you read one word, you've literally read them all, but then you your eye starts moving over them, and maybe it has something to do with the, the typography and teeny, teeny, tiny little letters. It becomes almost hypnotic, almost like those those 3D pictures that you start looking at and then you start staring through, uh, and the words start flying off the page at you as you turn the page after page after page, and it's almost meditative or or even, dare I say, prayerful, was that your intention? Is that the experience that you have when you look at this project which you've now been involved with in, in different Technically formats for 30, 35 years? Yeah. years yeah. Um, look, the fact of the matter is that when I saw the video uh, paper clips, uh, I thought that was um, a very clever way uh, of illustrating it, especially since it was initiated by non-Jewish uh, school teachers uh, in Tennessee. And I personally, in the, in the elementary school in Tennessee, they collected six million paper clips from all over the world to try to visually represent what, right. what six million looks like right. as a number. I mean, that doesn't negate this, and this yeah, doesn't yeah. negate that, and certainly Yad Vashem's uh, Herculean uh, effort to, to, gather to actually gather names a, as many names as possible is uh, is an amazing thing, and this is not meant to take its place. Uh, this is meant as one of many things that we remember the well, Holocaust. Let me ask you, uh, you mentioned this uh, story from Tennessee from about, I don't know, a dozen years ago with the six million paper clips. In my daughter's school in Efrat, they did a project uh, many years ago with buttons uh, of all different sorts. Uh, they collected one and a half million uh, to represent the one and a half million approximated children, children who were killed in the Holocaust, and they're on display in these large lucite cases all throughout the school, and it's a very powerful experience to to look at. Um, this is a book. Do you feel that there's something more powerful or poignant or symbolic 
about doing this project, and again, not negating the importance of any of the others, specifically in a book, specifically in the medium which has been the well, the life force of the Jewish people throughout our... All right, our that's, that's a way of um, presenting it, you know, in an interesting way. Not every home is going to have uh, six million or a million and a half buttons or paper clips. Um, whether somebody will take the time, which I've been thinking about, to count the number of lentils in a, in a kilo bag of lentils yeah. and then figure out how many how kilo many you need for six million... You're still not going to have that around. A book is a book. People see it. It's got an interesting cover because there's no title on it. There's no mm-hmm. publisher on it, no author on it. It's in the style of a of a talit. talit. And the talit was chosen because Jews are very buried. often buried in, in talit. And uh, if I had my choice, I was thinking in terms... The, the first classaire that I put together, the loose leaf... I had a, a yellow loose leaf with a, a black Magin David on it, in the sort of the opposite coloring of the uh, the famous uh, star, star from uh, Nazi Germany. And I was thinking in terms of a flame, and I was thinking maybe of a kaleidoscope of flames. They have these uh, little lenses that you could put uh, on your camera, and you get uh, a whole bunch of, of flames. So if if it's ever redone, that you know I might do that. It hits people differently. Uh, a book is something that you can have in your home. You could have it on your coffee table. You could have it on your shelf. And a guest comes and says, "Hey, you want to see something? How's your you know?" Or or just don't even introduce it. Hand it to a person and let him open it up. It's an impressive size of a book. I jokingly. Uh, went to the internet and found out that J.K. Rowling's uh, series of the seven Harry Potter books uses a million and a hundred thousand, 1.1 million words, so I've got her beat in this, in this one volume. <laughs> yeah, but the movie rights says so right, for more with Right, her. right. And I say it uh, tongue-in-cheek. I, um, uh, to me, it, it makes a statement. Yes. Uh, one of the interesting things, and let's go back to the question of education, uh, uh, before I came on Aliyah 20 years ago, I taught uh, a variety of things in Sun Queens at, uh, at uh, the Yeshiva University High School for Girls. Um, and I taught modern Jewish history, and of course that involved teaching the Holocaust. And like many other teachers, particularly uh, when you're teaching uh, young women, uh, the girls read The Diary of Anne Frank, which I think for all teenagers who encounter it, you know, it's an extremely powerful uh, read. And part of the power is the idea that Anne Frank was a real girl. She was a real teenager, not much unlike me. Um, and that kind of putting a human face onto it uh, is uh, is always a very uh, significant educational pedagogic turn and an ex- hopefully uh, a meaningful experience for the, for the student or, or for the reader. Um, and many... Much Holocaust education attempts to do that, to, to, to personalize it down to one story because six million is, is like you said, unimaginable. Here, interestingly, your work is, well, it's kind of Ratzov running back and forth between the two poles of that extreme. You hold in your, in your hand this heavy tome, uh, and it's the, it's, it's the collective. It's all six million somehow visually, microscopically almost, visually represented, but then you focus in on 
one particular name and and it becomes the individual and you can you can uh, telescope back and forth between the individual and the and the collective that's a, a good observation and i have applied that idea in other areas of education i am a big uh, fan of the expression about not seeing the trees from the forest or the forest from the trees and the point is that when you look at a forest of trees you need to stand back and be wowed by the whole presentation of the forest but you're missing something unless you go close and you pick out a tree and you take a look at its bark and you touch the trunk and you look at its leaves and you look at anything else the way the roots are on the ground and then take a step back again and see the whole forest. This goes together. for people, this goes for for basically any study. And uh, you, I believe you hit it on, on the head, uh, hit the nail on the head or on the nose, mm-hmm. however you want to mix your metaphors, um, by saying that you could do both with this book. And that's what it was meant to do. Right. First get an impression of something where you have to, I, I showed this to people, they pull out their reading glasses. And you need to do that if you're at a certain age in order to see what that little tiny word is. It's a, this is five, five and a half point size. You could make it smaller. You could do whatever you want with it. And, and this does not substitute for anything. This does not replace anything. I believe it adds. Right. Again, it's almost kitschy to refer to it as, as a book in, in the conventional sense, the way we think of a, of a book, fiction or nonfiction. Um, it, it's uh, uh, certainly to refer to it as, as literature. Um, but let me read to you a, a pretty well-known quote from the literary critic George Steiner, who wrote about Holocaust literature reviewing, as a literary critic, what it means to review Holocaust literature. I think he's specifically referring in, in this essay to Elie Wiesel's uh, you know, famous uh, work, Night. And he says that the only way the only complacent, decent, the only completely decent review of the Warsaw Diary or of Elie Wiesel's Night would be to recopy the book, line by line, pausing at the names of the dead and the names of the children as the Orthodox scribe pauses, the Sofer Stam, when recopying the Bible at the hallowed name of God. Until we knew many of the words by heart, knowledge deeper than mind, we could repeat a few at the break of morning to remind ourselves that we live after, that the end of the day may bring inhuman trial or remembrance stranger than death. And then he tells the following story. In the Warsaw Ghetto, a child wrote in his diary, I am hungry, I am cold. When I grow up, I want to be a German, and then I shall no longer be hungry and no longer be cold. And now, says Wiesel, and now I want to write that sentence again. I am hungry, I am cold when I grow up, I want to be a German, and then I shall no longer be hungry and no longer be cold. And say it over many, many times in prayer for the child, in prayer for myself, because when that sentence was written, I, writes Wiesel, I was fed beyond my need and slept warm and was silent. So that idea of the repetition, that the only thing you can say about certain things is to say it over, because it really is a case of, as we say, kol hamosif gorea, to add is to is to subtract. And I think there's some resonance. I thought of that, this rather well-known quote from Wiesel, while, while uh, thinking about... That's the, part of why there's no title on the cover, and... Um, 
again, people uh, react differently. By the way, Elie Wiesel uh, was very taken by this uh-huh. uh, book. And I'll call it a book because it's shaped like yes. a book and has pages yes. like a book. And um, and I, uh, you know, I changed the word uh, gimmick to shtick. And neither of those, I think, do it justice because... And certainly that's not meant pejoratively. Right, yeah. right. Well, but but this, this serves... Uh, it serves a purpose and it makes a point. Um, let me just conclude by asking, you, of course, Phil Chernofsky, are the educational director at the Orthodox Union's Israel Center here in Jerusalem and have been for, for uh, many, many years. Uh, most listeners will know you as the longtime uh, editor uh, and uh, chief cook and bottle washer uh, of the well-known Parsha sheets, the Torah Tidbits, which are distributed all over Israel in print and all over the world through the Internet was really one of the pioneers of, of those weekly partial mm-hmm. sheets that are now uh, quite ubiquitous. Um, and, of course, you've had a, a long career in Jewish education, formal, informal, uh, both here in Israel and, and in the United States. Um, I, I, too, of course, uh, you and I first met many years ago when, when I had an involvement with uh, NCSY through here, the Israel Center. And, of course, Holocaust education and the role of the Holocaust and Holocaust stories have, have always been part of Jewish education, formal and informal. But now we really are, although we've been saying this for many years, we really are on a cusp of a historic transference from one generation to another. Yesterday was International Holocaust Remembrance Day, uh, so there's been a lot of discussion of this, um, that the generation of survivors really is rapidly disappearing, as is the nature of the world. how do you see the state of Holocaust education, uh, the experiential component um, in in Jewish education today? How do you see it's changed over your long career, and where do you think it's going, and what do you think this uh, this book has to contribute beyond what we've already discussed? First of all, the <clears throat> we've already been enough years since the Holocaust to have the survivor generation their children who were born after World War II who now have their own children and grandchildren, if not also great-grandchildren. And a lot of the transmission from one generation to the next has already been taken over by those who have not uh, experienced firsthand. But this is a very common story in Judaism. There is an Avraham Avinu, who rediscovered belief in one God, was out in the world, and all of his experiences were transmitted to his son, Yitzchak, who lived an um, insulated, isolated kind of, of life in Eretz Yisrael completely, and yet that's how things get transmitted. There's a David HaMelech and there's a Shlomo HaMelech. There's one generation and the next. When we s- describe Torah, we say, Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai, and immediately we speak of his giving it over to Yoshua and that generation, and the next and the next. Each of us is, at one time in our life, the new generation, and then we become um, the just recently new, and now there's a newer generation, and many people with parents and children are able to feel the middle kind of ground, and then as you get older, 
more of the older, older generation dies out and more of the new generations come in. That's the story of Judaism. One more word about the book, though. Yesterday, you mentioned Holocaust Day around the world. The uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs for the uh, European Union, uh, Catherine Ashton, made a speech about the Holocaust. I don't know how long the speech was, but she did not mention the word Jew or Jewish people once. Not once. I spoke to a friend of mine this morning about it. It was in the paper, uh, Yisrael Hayom. And Arut Sheva picked up that story also, and apparently there's been a lot of yeah, criticism of her not using it. I checked. I, I went to... It's hard Dick- to imagine it was merely an oversight. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Especially when you go and you take any dictionary online or hard copy and look up Holocaust. There's a definition which is more general and generic of the lowercase h, but But capital H Holocaust is spoken, is defined as the systematic attempt to eradicate the Jews of Europe. And according to an article in the paper, it wasn't only Europe, but the Arabs did their share in North Africa and in the Middle East. So the fact that this holds the word Jew six million times, and the fact that there is one person in the world, and unfortunately there's more than one, who denies the Shoah, and that countries have gone as far as making it against the law to publicly deny the Holocaust, and can actually put people in jail and find them for that, is something... The fact that you should need such a law is... Correct. But we're not in an ideal uh, world at this moment, and therefore I think we and our children and their children will do a good job in perpetuating the memories of the victims of the Shoah and the concept. The concept did not start with Hitler. He just did it in a dramatic way. When we're coming up now to Adar Rishon, which postpones Purim another month, But Purim, you've got the arch-typical statement of uh, the Hitler types in the world, the Amalek types in the world, the Haman, who, because of a slight by one person, Mordechai refused to bow to him. He desired to destroy every man, woman, and child of the nation of Mordechai. didn't even say the Jewish people. So whatever reason caused these things, what, whatever different input there was, the fact remains that Bechol Dor Vodor, in every generation, Om Dimoleinu Lechalotenu, and uh, this was just a, a huge uh, example of it, but it's only a matter of numbers. The book is, And Every Single One Was Someone, by Phil Chernofsky, published by Geffen Publishing House. Jerusalem, New York. The book is available... I think it's mostly available only from Geffen. Only from Geffen, directly from their website. And uh, it's a... When I say it's a weighty volume, I'm not just referring to the uh, 7.3 pounds. uh, pounds. About three and a half kilo. (laughs) And uh, and, uh, it's, uh, it's a visual representation of the rather abstract concept of memory. And it's important that we have such things.